How has our desire for taste, for different sensations, changed our destiny? How has it changed the world? As it turns out, quite dramatically, Colin Cullis with Business Unusual in just a moment. The Money Show brought to you by our new partner, Nedbank. Looking at money from every angle leads to better money decisions. See money differently. Nedbank, welcome to The Money Show this evening. We've got Colin Cullis in a moment. We'll also then, at about 20 past 7, have Peter Dutoy, the assistant editor of In-Depth News at News24. Give us the biggest five things you need to know from the preliminary report by Judge Robert Nugent, chairing that committee of inquiry into SARS and I mean I just I look at the faces of the commissioners the commissioner himself and the and his assistants um, and you, you see levels of incredulity and levels of like what on earth has been going on in that place for so long and Mark Kingan the acting SARS commissioner joined us an hour ago to talk through the the reports that uh, the SARS e-filing system is rattly crank and is about to fall over Mark Kingan insists that it's not that it is robust yes it is antiquated well he didn't use the word antiquated that's my word but he did say it's out of date he did say that it's not been active it's not been actively updated it's not been improved and that is a deep concern, um, particularly for him, who's trying to resolve these issues. The president, Sir Ramaphosa, today wrote to uh, Tom Moyani and said to him, you've got a week. Tell me why you should not be fired, as George, uh, Robert Nugent has recommended. So the big five things that we've learned from the Nugent interim, interim report. And then at half past seven tonight, uh, we've got John Willifant, the former principal executive officer at the Government Employees Pension Fund. What does he think about what's going on there? And now this, this inquiry into, um, into the PIC, which Jill Marcus is going to be involved in. It's good to see her coming, um, out of, uh, of, of retirement to, to come and make a contribution. That's nice to see. Um, but yes, certainly lots to come on tonight's Money Show. The Money Show. Business Unusual with Colin Cullis. Business Unusual brought to you by PwC, combining deep business and industry insight with digital innovation. Tell me about your travels, Colin Cullis. Did you go to places where there were wonderful, evocative smells, places that inspired you, places that moved you, or did you just stay at home? No, I, I indeed, uh, I followed your advice. I went on, on that exploratory trip, uh, not simply to wander around Portugal and Spain. I was doing research. This was serious stuff. How did those two countries come to be known for their food, which is fantastic, and their very good wines? Uh, in fact, about, about this time last week, I was sitting in a, a restaurant enjoying a seven-course dinner on a Spanish island of Mallorca. Uh, and this restaurant is known for serving only local seasonal produce from their michelin starred chef so this was hard work i was busy doing and, and no, look i mean your commitment i thank you <laughs> for your commitment and your dedication and you're taking one for the team it's lovely yes and and all of the team should do this in fact everybody should should go on one of these things at some point but but while thinking deeply on the subject and enjoying their dinner i, I came to realize that while it's admirable that they were using only local produce most of the produce used in that menu wasn't originally local the story this evening is around how trade and commerce, specifically around spices, really transformed and created much of what now we consider to be the modern economy. Uh, and originally, it sort of was uh, Arab traders, Indian traders, and the Venetians who sort of supplied the original spice route. Uh, and Europe did go kind of mad, specifically pepper. That was the original rock star, even though today, you know, you'll find it on every table anywhere in the world given free. Back then, valued as much as gold. But of course, it was expensive 
to uh, to buy the stuff and and the appetite for it was great and so portugal was one of the first to say could we try and find a direct route on our own? And it was Vasco da Gama who some people might say, you know, mapped all of Africa. Well, he wasn't really looking to map Africa. He was looking to get over to India to get some pepper. Uh, and the fact that he could map, Afri- uh, map Africa uh, to find a, a quicker route to make a sort of safer route for him to get home quickly uh, is, is, is what really what it's all about. Uh, the Dutch followed suit and really upped the game. They started the whole colonization. And when the other nations uh, jumped in and did the same thing, well, that's where the really tragic chapter of human history with colonization and Slavery began because all of this kind of was founded on profits and arguably greed simply to deliver a, a, a flavoring for food. And that's kind of, you know, what, what gave it. In fact, the, the, the phrase, I'm sure you know it, uh, variety is the spice of life. That was first coined in 1785, kind of the high point where spices really came to be seen as this thing that would define enjoyment and fulfillment. And as a consequence, I mean, there was obviously significant downsides, but Inevitably, with, with these sorts of developments, uh, uh, you get advances. So ocean navigation, uh, the trading of the first public company, the Dutch East India Company was the first uh, public company. And as a consequence of being the first public company, you need the first stock exchanges. And, and a quick little aside potentially on, on the stock exchanges, because one of the best known ones we have today is on Wall Street in New York. New York was originally New Amsterdam. The Dutch and the English had a little negotiation to switch the Dutch ownership of the island Manhattan for a couple of small spice islands in the Pacific uh, that principally supplied uh, cinnamon. So the Big Apple and cinnamon actually have uh, an economic <laughs> connection that you can that you can rely on in terms of that. Uh, insurance became widely adopted. Obviously, there's a massive risk on sailing ships around Cape of Storms and other places like that. Uh, and uh, thanks to the, uh, the the chats happening in the the, the new uh, in vogue coffee shops of London, one in particular, Lloyd's, uh, created that list, which would allow people to take out the risk and, and cover the insurance for, for ships that were sailing. So it, it really did offer uh, that very impressive sort of uh, spark to all of this trade in lots of amounts of wealth. Uh, and that arguably also could trigger the first industrial revolution. But still, this is kind of a history lesson. It's not business unusual. It's just business old. Uh, so I, I, I thought maybe bring it a little more contemporary and, and, and ask you, what do you think the current spice is as a global world-defining product? I haven't a clue, you know. It's in your pocket. It's the smartphone because I was going to say data, but uh, that uh, that uh, that that seemed too easy. But okay. Yeah. Right, well, it's it's you. it's related. So so in the way that that spice offered this non-nutritional but highly desired thing, it was that it wasn't actually solving a real problem. It was solving one where we we desired it for the sake of it, rather than we had a need for it. And much like our smartphones, which you might think, well, this is a serious business. You know, it's solving a communication problem. Sure, it did do that, but it didn't become the smartphone. It didn't become this multi-billion-dollar industry. Because it actually allowed for better calls, although I'm pretty sure you would love it to simply get better quality calls for your interviews. It's because it offered us the opportunity to play games, to watch videos, to go into social networks, and of course, take pictures. It was the delight and the entertainment that the smartphone brings us that's actually driven its adoption and the value for the businesses that have entered it. Even that, though, that's still kind of business as usual. We get that. So let me go one step further and, and, and put out after a couple of weeks of thinking about this, what potentially the future spice might be. 
Uh, and, and so the first thing I, I want to tell you and suggest to everybody else that when you're looking at the serious future of business, it invariably isn't related to something serious, but more likely something involved with the light or fun or entertainment. Uh, and a lot of this is actually part of um, Stephen Johnson's got a book called Wonderland. And he notes the very many innovations that come from humanity's pursuit of fun, which turn into very real world practical solutions to things. So we kind of know, and you were talking about data then, it's, it's a very big deal. And that artificial intelligence is the other buzzword that generally goes along with data. And most people assume, well, AI will allow us to sift through those vast piles of data and give us some sense about it. But I wonder if it isn't more likely that the next development, the next spice that we'll all be clamoring for that allows AI to become this real world, practical, actual business will be from advancing the likes of Siri and Alexa and Cortana and the Google Assistant in making them AI companions. Company, virtual company, will probably be the new spice <gasps> for humans. Now, virtual company. I mean, will it, and, and I wonder whether it'll take the form of the robots, um, of actually having a physical robot in a room, a, a humanoid-like device. Um, that you plug in at night as you go to bed, um, and you wake up in the morning and it greets you and uh, and treats you like its best buddy. Uh, is it going to be that sad, or will it be a little more subtle than that? I, I would argue that it wouldn't be a physical thing because our, our robotics are, are impressive, and you know the Boston Dynamics we spoke about them and Atlas doing hops and jumps and all sorts of things that they continue to do. They're just going to be too expensive and too hard. Whereas if you use your smartphone or a little pair of glasses that allow you to uh, you know create an interface. What you want is the semblance of somebody that you're talking to, much like you and I are talking now. I don't need to physically be in the room with you for us to have a meaningful, useful conversation. Everybody listening to us feels quite comfortable simply just hearing what we have to say. And if that engages them sufficiently, they'll continue to listen. Uh, and, and even while I was traveling, quite often I'd have to wonder where I need to go. You call up your little Google Assistant, you ask for a map, and it starts giving you directions. Something talking you, telling you turn left in 500 meters is kind of like a trusted friend navigating you where you need to go or recommending a restaurant to you or any of these things. So the, the, the search and scheduling is the first part, which you can't think we get. And we're getting more and more comfortable actually being willing to talk to a device and actually start asking some questions that aren't just very obvious search questions, but actual conversational type questions. So when those devices get clever enough to start answering them in the way that shows some personality – we will actually potentially start confiding in them some really impressive things. And now here's where it does drift off into the weird and potentially scary because we must be mindful not to wander into the trap of the 2004 Facebook, get it all free, just give us your data. This should be something we pay for and hold people accountable for looking after their data because we potentially will be sharing some very intimate things with these wonderfully supportive and excellent listening machines. And I wonder if there isn't maybe even a version that will be created by governance themselves, a, a revolutionary change to democracy where effectively the state supplies an app-type virtual assistant, which allows you to speak to it, including giving feedback about access to services, questions about how to uh, you know, access it and, and give feedback on things, possibly even give your view on a variety of uh, p policies or, or upcoming laws and all these sorts of things. And in one respect, if it's done well, that could be amazing. But – you know, <laughs> the downside for this is doesn't doesn't require a whole lot to explain. But again, mm -hmm. the way spices, sometimes they're too spicy for us. Sometimes, you know, we just use too much of them. The same thing possibly applies to these sort of AI assistants, because, again, that that supportive uh, uh, willingness to listen uh, in a world that is very noisy and complex may just be the future spice that we're all looking for.
You know, I often argue with you on these points, but I'm going to agree with you completely. I happened to uh, I happened upon a small child of my acquaintance um, very recently, and this child was talking to my phone and asking Siri, "Why won't my dad give me his code?" Oh, wow. and Siri went, "I'm sorry, I don't understand that." Siri's not yet evolved enough for this young child of my acquaintance. But my child is talking to the phone as if it is uh, able to properly communicate and understand and give a human answer to a kid's question, which is interesting. It's an interesting evolution. Colin Cullis scaring us, as always, with business unusual.